Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Splash Play, a fantasy football slash DFS slash sports betting podcast. Today was a bloodbath in the NFL, and I'm about to list off everyone who was injured during week two. Here we go. Saquon Barkley, knee. Paris Campbell, knee. Raheem Mostert, knee. Devontae Adams, hamstring. Christian McCaffrey, ankle. Drew Locke, shoulder. Two hours later. Jimmy Garoppolo, ankle. Sterling Shepard, foot. Rashad Perriman, ankle. Cam Akers, rib. Tevin Coleman, knee. Tyrod Taylor, chest. Portland Sutton, knee. Okay. Wow, this transition got botched. Hello, everyone. No theme song. Welcome to a new episode of Splash Play. The injuries are have ripped the soul out of us so much that uh, our production team, now it's Trey and five other guys uh, who may not be based in America and are being paid under the table. Uh, they're all helping us out with production, but we're here. It's Splash Play. It's a new week. I'm Chris Spags, joined by a man who's got himself a new little setup and looks like a very professional daily fantasy sports host. His name's Peter Overzet. You can follow him at Peter Overzet. He's Peter Overzet. How's it going, Pete? Doing good. Yeah, I was in the lab uh, with Jordan. He's one of the producers over at Line Movement. He got me all set up here with my mic. Look at my backlit lighting, the hue, the nice light blue hue over my shoulder. I mean, we're cooking now, man. The Twitch streamers are jealous of this setup. I feel like your mood lighting has always been something that stood out to me in the background, but now it really is a part of your brand in a way that it wasn't before, where I feel like this is just who you are, is that there's always a mood light in every room that you enter. That's right. It's right. It's uh, it's true. I, I mean, I even have this cactus one that I haven't turned on, but now that you said it, I think I need to take these and place them around the house so that I have one in the living room. You know, there is a, a void of neon lights in, in my bedroom, which seems like a rare miss by me. Uh, sure, you cannot be one of the pickup artists out there if you do not have neon lights or a frat guy, I guess, who's doing pretty well for himself, though. Wait, are you pigeonholing me with <laughs> pickup artists and frat guys? I mean, there's no frat guy that could get the perfectly textured hue of this light like I do. You're you're talking about lava lamp bros. <laughs> That's no, I feel like I'm thinking of like the rope lights that I had my freshman year at USC around the apartment where it's like, oh, it'd be so cool if you just had lights up all the time to change the mood. Like that's where you are. Don't don't lower me to that level. This is a far more professional setup than that. It is professional and it is a professional operation. So that's why we need you guys right now. If you are watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell. So, you know, whenever we have a new episode that comes up or a new video, we're actually going to cut up one of our segments this week as a separate video, we're doing a little waiver wire draft in a little bit, and that's going to be its own video. So get used to that. But of course the main videos every Sunday night after Sunday night football, every Thursday night after Thursday night football, that's when you will get your dose of me and Pete doing our usual rigmarole here on splash play that you've hopefully 
hopefully already come to know and love after these two weeks. And of course, the podcast downloads, those are doing actually even better. So thank you guys for subscribing on there on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We appreciate that. And still, if you give us five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, you will get yourself a cameo-style video from either Pete or myself. I will say this is the one category that Pete's currently dominating me in is the request for cameo videos, but I've got hopes that's going to turn around this week. It's probably not. Pete's so good at the short-form videos. I mean, they want to see these frat boy lights. They want to be, they want to have Pete. They want to wake up with a cameo video of Pete on top of them breathing Malibu rum in their ear. <laughs> no, no, no. This is what people don't know. I mean, mine, I'm just going to kind of pull it up on my phone. I might be sitting out on my porch. I'll say something nice, but Spags has been messaging me. He's like, dude, the stuff I'll do for these cameos, if someone requests it, you're like, I've been going down picking out costumes. You're like, I have a pirate outfit, a sailor's outfit. I'm just waiting for someone to request a cameo. So this is the moment, guys. I'm telling you, Spags is working so hard on the production value for these cameos. You have to request a Spags production. Either way, whoever you're getting out of us, you're getting a win. So give us five stars in a review. And of course, DM us at at Splash Play Pod. If you do give us a review, we will instantly turn around, or I guess as soon as we can, turn around that cameo video. Because that's how much we appreciate you. And of course, follow at Splash Play on Instagram and Twitter. If you just want a free follower, if you, even if you don't even like fantasy football, which I don't know why you'd be doing this to yourself, but if even if you just want a free follower, follow us at Splash Play Pod on Twitter and Instagram. The first thousand people get a follow on there. So please do that. And our big giveaway, this is our last little promo here, but we got to hit the promos up top because we're a new channel here. I know our pal Matthew Berry is often called his ESPN podcast, a little engine that could, or a little podcast that could. And I think for us, we really are that. It's just me and Pete doing all this stuff, trying to make entertaining shows. So your support does mean a bunch for us. But we're going into our little our little piggy banks. We actually broke them open with a hammer, spread ceramic all over the place, which feels it's like an inefficient way to save money, I think, now that we can <laughs> reflect back upon it. We broke into it. And of course, we have our big giveaway, which Pete apparently arrives on Thursday. So we're going to delay the announcement until you have it in your hands on Thursday's show. Yeah, I know. I wanted to make sure we were on the same page with that. And I'm glad we are. It is in route from eBay. It would have been nice to announce it, but I do think we need to have it in hand because, you know, Chris, a lot of people get catfished on the internet. If I say I have something in my hands and then I don't, you know, it, it just doesn't have, it doesn't ring true. So when this arrives, it will be here for our Thursday show, estimated delivery, Tuesday, September 22nd through the September 24th. Thursday night, Chris, that's when we unveil it. I hate to string the people along, but I promise this will be worth the wait. And if you are subscribed on YouTube or if you give us five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, you're entered to win. So those are the two ways you can get an entry. If you do both, you get two entries. We're just going to run them through an Excel spreadsheet when that special prize is in on Thursday. And we'll reveal it on Thursday. And as Pete mentioned, no baits and switches here, like when he uh, sends a photo of himself in a suit to a girl and then it turns out he's just a frat guy in a backwards hat. Uh, that, you know, Pete's happily married. I can't even joke about this because your wife follows us on social media. It's, it's also <laughs> like when Chris sends you a cameo of him in a pirate outfit. <laughs> that's not actually the true Chris. So, you know, this this cuts both ways. It does cut both ways. It's a team effort here, as always, to deceive you. But we do have a good gift coming up here, <laughs> a good giveaway gift coming up on Thursday. So make sure you tune in after Thursday Night Football. But a week can, two... Can that be the, the slogan for the show? Splash play, where we team up to deceive you. I mean, that that's really how you, you build the trust from a fantasy and DFS. It's, you know, but it's all in fun. I feel like it's the difference between a deception where, you know, like you a lemon car, you leave it, you take it off the lot, all of a sudden the gas tank explodes. I mean, first of all, that would be extra bad because you'd probably 
probably be dead. But second of all, like this is like one of those fun ones where it's like, oh, your friend tickled you. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a fun prank between friends. I don't. What do adults do to prank each other? Like they tell somebody that significant other passed away. <laughs> is that is that a fun prank? I, I think you hide in a cake generally is kind of my <laughs> preferred way of surprising other adults. Okay, yeah, so something like that. But either way, we are the fun surprise here, the fun popping out of a cake and not the fun exploding gas tank prank. That's where we are here. Coming up today, we got a waiver wire snake draft, which I'm excited for. I feel like Pete's probably deeply missed having drafts in his lives now, or (laughs) in his life. He doesn't have multiple lives like a cat, but maybe he does based upon his many DFS weeks. (laughs) It's always getting back to the table. But here is a a thing we can do today to get a little fix of the draft. Of course, we're going to do our new segment, Take the L, in which we will decide if we should take an L for our results from last week, though. Pete, spoiler alert, I don't have many L's to take this week. I fucking oh, nailed it. No. I actually uh, haven't reviewed our picks and I've been a little nervous. So does this mean I'm I've, I've dropped in the rankings after my five and I hot start? You, you might already have lost the week, even though Sunday night and Monday night have not gone off. But we'll find out. You might have. You might not have. That's the teaser we can go with. And, of course, we have our ride-or-die picks for Monday night football with the Raiders and Saints game, one that's gotten a little bit less star-powered with Michael Thomas already ruled out. But that should at least be helpful to know in advance. That's one thing that we can take to the bank. And uh, this week, of course, we have to give our congratulations to the Splash Play listener Goners for their Millionaire Maker winning line. Pete, this is crazy. Two straight weeks, a listener of Splash Play has taken our advice, gotten to the pay window. I don't know what results you've gotten this week, Pete, but I didn't win a million dollars like Goners, one of our nearest and dearest fans has. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like once you kind of get in the content business for fantasy football, honestly, it's the listeners' wins that mean more to me than mine. Like I had a great DFS day. I had a top 50 finish in the slant. I had a top 20 finish in the spy. But seeing what one of our Splash Play listeners did to, to take – and turn it into a million. It's honestly humbling, Chris. And it just speaks to kind of our community and how sharp they are and how much they trust us. And, And I'm just really proud of everyone all around. Yeah, Goners, too, also had second place on the play action with the big 200K up top. So, uh, really, I couldn't be more proud. If I, if I if Goners, if I could reach you right now, I'd pat you on the head. But, again, join the winning community here at Splash Play and, uh, and uh, be a part of here by subscribing, of course, either on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But Goners winning lineup, Dak Prescott in that high over-under game with Dallas and Atlanta. Dak got there in a big way with 43.8 fantasy points on DraftKings. Aaron Jones, 48.6. Miles Sanders, 21 points. Calvin Ridley, 32.9. Mari Cooper, 19 fantasy points. That's enough. He also stacked them up with C.D. Lamb. Those were the guys completing that stack. And of course, if you are newer to DFS, very important to stack up your quarterback, even if it is a guy who runs with two guys on his team because if a quarterback has an outlier day, the odds are a couple of his receivers do too. Uh, Travis Kelsey in the mix. Jordan Reed, which I think we need to talk about separately. He's also in the mix with his two-touchdown game. And the Colts defense uh, getting a nice day here against the Minnesota Vikings offense that at least looked competent enough against the Packers last week. Uh, Pete, does anything jump out to you in that one? Because I'll say for me, the Cowboys stack, pretty obvious. Not running it back, not usually a great move for tournaments, but that's how Goners approached it. He's going next level. He's going 4D chess with the information that we provided here on Splash Play. But in that millionaire maker winning lineup, Aaron Jones, I mean, I know we expected the pass game to be dominant, but what surprises you the most about that million dollar winning one? Real quick, I think I just missed it. Who was the flex? The flex was Jordan Reed. And sorry, then who was the tight end? Uh, Travis Kelsey, two tight ends. Travis Kelsey. Okay, so honestly, that, you know, sometimes you think of these off-the-wall 
millionaire maker lineups. Like you said, a classic double stack with the bring back with Ridley. You go a little under the radar with Aaron Jones and Miles Sanders, who were great plays, but weren't going to be super high owned. Both of those guys were in my spy lineup. I just didn't have the uh, the double tied in. That's where it gets really creative. And it makes sense when you think about Jordan Reed as the punt tight end at 2,600. And then you're basically just thinking about Travis Kelsey as a glorified wide receiver in the flex. The thing that's crazy about Jordan Reed is there was the article that came out earlier in the week out of San Francisco or later in the week that said he was only going to play 15 to 20 snaps. And so to me, that got off him. I'm like, that's just not enough snaps to turn in a Millie making winning performance. The problem is, is if you only get 10 snaps like Jordan Reed did, but you catch seven passes for two touchdowns on those 10 snaps, then you're obviously going to smash. So to me, that isn't that crazy of a lineup. I look at a lineup like that and say, yeah, that's a splash play listener. That's someone that just built a solid lineup. So to me, that's encouraging for the people who are like, you have to get ridiculously lucky to win a million dollars. Yeah, Jordan Reed certainly benefited from the backup, backup tight end also getting hurt. So that's going to give him even more snaps or at least more opportunity. But yeah, I mean, he was not very involved last week in terms of just play volume. He was only out, as Pete mentioned, for 10 snaps, but was targeted 40% of the time. And those are the guys that if you expect somebody to get more reps, they're getting targeted a lot when they are on the field. If they're running routes when they are on the field, uh, those are the guys who can pay off. And Jordan Reed, I, th- I tweeted about it today, Pete, but I feel like it's the irony of all ironies that on this day where you listed off some of the injuries, you didn't even get to the defensive guy injuries a lot of guys on defense who were very important were also hurt um you know jordan reed the one who survives and has two touchdowns and wins somebody a million dollars there's after uh countless concussions i mean he might be breeding uh, bleeding from his brain just waking up on a given morning i well it's funny you say that because i saw someone tweet out that on the day where there were all the injuries that will fuller should have gone off you know that one of the poster child for uh being injured and of course he he literally puts up a bagel uh, so yeah, Jordan Reed is going to have to have the uh, the ironic performance of week two, I guess. Yeah, Will Fuller, a zero for zero. We'll talk more about the guys who hurt us the most this week in um, a segment that we're calling now, Tell Me Who Hurt You, which I feel like this is the one thing I enjoy about our segments is they we're iterating just a little bit on them to the point where they're really hitting the spot for me each time. And Tell Me Who Hurt You, where I hope it's Pete and I consoling each other in a shower as one of us cries and asking who hurt us. But we'll talk about that one coming up. But Pete, to you, week two, a lot of big games, a lot of big performances. What to you was the big story of this week where there was really, I mean, injuries are the big story, I guess. So if you want to talk about that too, it's, it's fair play. Yeah. I would say the injuries were kind of the one, a, the one B I think would be the tight end sleepers going off. We mentioned Jordan Reed, Mo Alley Cox stepping in for Jack Doyle went over a hundred yards. Dalton Schultz filling in for the injured Blake Jarwin went off for nine receptions, 88 yards and a touchdown. Even Johnny Smith and Mike Gusecki, who were, you know, sub 4,500 on DFS. Those guys had game winning uh, performances as well. So yeah, today was kind of a renaissance day for the, for the punt tight ends. And uh, yeah, I would say those were the things that, uh, that stood out for me. We saw the bell cow backs continue to have a lot of success uh, with Christian McCaffrey, Aaron Jones, we mentioned Miles Sanders. So yeah, what else is jumping out for you as far as kind of themes from this week? 
I think the tight end one's a pretty good evaluation point there where I know for me, I was targeting a lot of the big play receivers this week or guys that I thought would have opportunity to, to make something happen. T.Y. Hilton was a guy I was very bullish on, and we'll talk more about him hurting me this week in a way that uh, was not <laughs> great. But Paris Campbell, too, another guy who didn't make Pete's injury list, uh, he got hurt very early in that game, hurt his knee. Not a torn ACL, but probably a torn MCL or something that's not great and going to keep him out for a while there. Um, but I think for me, yeah, the tight ends being reliable, it could be something that's just a one week aberration could be something to keep in mind with lineup constructions where for me, I know when I first started playing DFS, when I initially started working at Osmo that first year, I used to always run a lot of double tight ends and it ended up being such a bad move because (laughs) there was a lot of running backs, a lot of wide receivers who had both a higher floor and a higher ceiling for tournaments. And maybe the double tight end is back just because these guys are able to stay in games a bit more and stay healthy and stay upright. And um, I don't know. And I think that's the big question I have, because I know coming into the year, uh, we've talked a lot about the football injury doctors out there. And um, and perhaps they're different credibilities, different levels of, of uh, trust you can have in them. But I remember all these doctors out there saying like soft tissue is going to be the thing. Like it's, that's the way it goes. But a lot of knee injuries, a lot of serious knee injuries. And, and uh, I think it was, I think it was, no, it was Kyle Shannon. I was going to say it's Adam Gase, but Kyle Shannon was like, yeah, our players told us before the game, this field isn't good. And then I think there were five injuries in that game between both sides. So I, I don't even know what to make of that, where the field led to a bunch of injuries in that Niners Jets game. And maybe knees aren't as built to handle not having that preseason, not having that full run of camp. Yeah, I was actually wondering that too, because the whole kind of thesis coming in was, oh, the injury shortened, you know, or sorry, the coronavirus shortened off season was going to lead to more injuries. But like you said, these are more, you know, collision injuries that are just going to happen because football is being played. And I think today was just an outlier day for collisions. And we know this is the NFL that can happen. Uh, Also on that note, And I feel like this has kind of gotten swept under the rug, which is fine because we're just all loving that we have football back. But how insane is it that there have been no Corona virus cases that have led to late scratches? I mean, I thought we were going to be plagued with this. Like I was like, football's going to happen, but there's going to be two to three late scratches every day, maybe every slate. And we just haven't had it. I kind of think it's a discipline thing where baseball had so many and I was like, oh, if baseball's having it, the NFL's going to do the same thing because we're not in a bubble. But if you think about it, like baseball players, you know, no disrespect to them. I, I've enjoyed the sport. I've covered the sport. Um, like I, I have no problem with it as overall, but you know, a little bit, a little bit sloppy, a little bit less concern about their physical well-being, a little bit cons- less concern about their health. I think baseball players have, but football players, I mean, you have to be on point to even be a practice squad guy. You have to be really going hard, keeping yourself in peak condition. So I think maybe there's something to that there where there's a degree of discipline where they don't have it. But but college football, you could see it because like, oh, these are still college kids at the end of the day. But like Baylor Houston got canceled over the weekend. And that was a game that uh, I have a friend who works for Fox who was like supposed to work that game. They didn't have a backup game this week. Like they had nothing else. They just ran, I think, reruns over a Saturday. Like so, you know, you could see with the NFL, that's the peak of the, uh, you know, of your profession. And I guess these guys taking it very seriously and the conditions put in are helping keep them uh, seriously safe. And I think that's what matters. But I agree. I'm a little bit surprised by it. Maybe it gets a little more lax when these guys don't get it for a month. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, screw it. I'm going to go out because we're in Miami for the week. Um, Maybe things get weird. But I agree. I think it's it's crazy that we're baffled by knee injuries and not just guys getting the virus. Yeah, I do think it to your point that it does come down to that personal responsibility. And that's what everyone was talking about heading into the season. Like, 
look, the teams are going to do what they're going to do, but it's ultimately up to these guys when they're at home and they're at the hotel on the road to just do the right thing and stay, stay locked in. And I do think, like you said, hopefully they don't get so lax once we do rack up a month, but yeah, I, I don't give a shit about there being no fans in the crowd. Like that doesn't bother me. I've seen some people say like, Oh, it's just not the same. It's like, who cares? We have football being played. There are splash plays happening. There are touchdowns and fantasy points going around. Games aren't being delayed. Players aren't being scratched. I'm like, this is incredible. And I'm just trying to soak it in and not take it for granted that we have it. Yeah, no, I, I very much am on the same page. And I've gotten used to the the quiet ambiances from I played a lot of UFC MMA or UFC DFS over the over the quarantine period. One of my actually more profitable sports year to year over any. And uh have kind of toned it down because I there's so many other sports going on. I only have so much time and so much brain matter to give up. But like that, you know, the NBA being in the bubble, not you know, having the piped in noise sometimes, not having piped in noise sometimes. I feel like I've gotten used to it enough where with football, if you weren't watching these other sports, if you're a casual fan, which apparently are the people who are suffering the most. So maybe it's kind of the same psychology as like pro wrestling, which has actually been hurt pretty bad by not having live crowds. Maybe the casual football fans are more turned off by it. But for me, it's just like, I just want to hear collisions. I want to hear these guys smashing each other. I want to hear them wired up. I want to hear Robbie Anderson baffled by a mascot. These are the things (laughs) I want on a game to game basis. For sure. hundred percent. And yeah, I will just touch on the, uh, the MMA stuff when you have those guys that are fighting and you can hear them talking to each other while fighting. That is just fascinating access that you would never get under any other circumstance. So I am hoping we get more Robbie Anderson asking about Sir Purr to DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, because those are the kind of clips that we wouldn't otherwise ever get. Yeah, I, I was one of my favorite things about the XFL where they had these guys wired up and famously, I think one of the most maybe regretful for uh, the team and for Matt McGloin, but he was the quarterback of the New York team. He leaves during halftime and they ask him like, hey, what's going on with the offense? And Matt McGloin's like, I don't know, man, they're not doing, we weren't not doing anything we said we were going to do. I'm confused. <laughs> like, I like that kind of candor where if things are going south, if you're, if you're Sam Darnold and you're talking about seeing ghosts out there, like, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, Sam Darnold, like, why are you talking about seeing ghosts against the Patriots defense? Like, keep it real. Like, keep it real on Mike. Like, I think there's a, certainly a candor we appreciate in our athletes when they're on social media, when they're talking on Mike. And I think it's the same thing in a game where if, you know, if these guys are terrified or if these guys are getting their asses kicked, like, I think there's no shame in being honest about that process and us being to hear it. And I think that's something I look forward to. But speaking of being able to hear it, Pete, victory laps, that's something we always have to do here because quite frankly, this is an industry that rewards self-congratulation and we have to do our part here as a new show. We need to make sure everybody knows about our successes beyond our millions of dollars that we provided to listeners and viewers out there. So Pete, for you, I'll, you know, I didn't even put one in for you this week because I don't want to get your wrath, but... Uh... <laughs> What's your what's your victory lap for the week? Because Lavisca didn't four X again. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to be the first. Yeah, but time. you know, I I didn't call Lavisca four Xing. So you know, I'm I'm I, I am looking at my ride or die picks, and uh, you know, I I struggled uh, a little bit. I'm I'm seeing here. Uh, you know, I did have some some picks that hit that didn't find their way into this sheet you know i did say on a couple of shows later in the week terry mclaurin was the best gpp play when you factored in his ownership and his price so it was nice to see that hit aaron jones was a guy that found his way into my lineup uh, a lot but is this specifically to things i said on the ride or die picks because i'm uh i'm really starting to squint here at looking at this and i realize uh why i'm now going to be behind hey Jags Titans over 42. Who would have thunk it? This guy. 
No, Pete's, you know, your victory laps, the only victory lap you need is just you existing and bringing joy to so many people on a given basis. I think that's that's all the victory lap that Pete needs this week, which is This is say. brutal. I'm looking at these sheets. This is absolutely brutal. Okay, let's get yours. Let's get yours. What's your well, victory I, lap? I would say to your to your credit, or I guess maybe not to, to defend Pete a little bit for the picks. And, you know, I lost last week. Pete won last week. So I think it's it's still a monoe model battle, even if one of us has a better week than the other. But I would say when you do a bunch of shows like Pete does, you know, Pete does this show. He also has a couple of his own streams. He pops in on a couple of other shows. Like, I think once you're on that many level of shows, it's hard to tell which one you should be giving your best takes to. But I will say... These are the only ones that are documented, Pete. <laughs> These are the ones that are on an Excel spreadsheet and will be a part of, of Splash Play lore for hopefully many years to come. So um, maybe bring bring a little more heat, Pete, would be what I would say. <laughs> I will say I do need to get better because this was, this was bad. And I will also say, I do just want to clear the record, that it's not what show gets the best takes. It's that your takes evolve as the week goes on. You know, we recorded Thursday night, ownership start you know, it obviously from a DFS perspective impacts things. And I also think in the spirit of this show, watch, this is just me just backtracking like crazy right now, trying to justify, we're trying to give some hot takes here, right? Like no one wants to hear us say like, you know, Jonathan Taylor is like a top 10 running back. You want to hear me say Naheem Hines is going to outscore Jonathan Taylor. So I am never going to apologize for my hot takes and I will not back down. I'll let Spags continue to do these soft ones like Zach Ertz <laughs> over Dallas Goddard and all that other bullshit. What was your Dalton Schultz one, by the way? Cause that, uh, it was just that he's great. <laughs> So what did you say? I said that he was going to be the guy who upsets the, the Cowboys stack, which I mean, he technically was the highest scoring part of the stack. So I think that was correct, but um, yeah, nobody played Dalton Schultz. So I guess the show needs to do a little more of reach or reach wise, but he outscored CD lamb. He outscored Amari Cooper and he certainly outscored your guy, Michael Gallup. Yeah, that, uh, that one didn't work out well. Michael Gallup keeps doing the same thing where he's like not involved early. And then at the end, like gets a few deep shots. I don't blame him, though. I think that's Mike McCarthy's fault entirely. So what's the one thing that changed for the team? And and it's crazy because we've talked about this, I think, on the show, but I'm technically a Cowboys fan. I don't really, you know, we do this professionally now. Like, I don't feel the same. Not to be like to go full journalist, like, oh, I can't root for a team in the press box. Like, I don't I don't care about that. I would never root for a team loudly anyway. But I like, you know, the Cowboys for me, it's just it's not the same as it was growing up where, you know, I, I almost rooted for them to prove a point where I was a fan of them before they won the Super Bowl. Uh, my first memory I've talked about on here was of them cry- of me crying when Troy Aikman got stretchered out against the Giants in the year that they were 1-15 in before they got good. And, like, you know, now I don't give a crap about the Cowboys for the most part, but I think, you know, w- you know, watching this game and watching them and seeing what's changed, like, I wanted to see Jason Garrett out there. I, I didn't mind Mike McCarthy. He is a Super Bowl-winning co- uh, coach, and, you know, for whatever falling out he had with his, co- his quarterback, like, he is still a guy who said all the right things, talked about doing analytics and all that stuff. And I can tell you watching these games, I do not feel like the Cowboys have any read on analytics at all. And I feel like if anything, he's made Kellen more, more incompetent, no pun intended. Um, actually, I guess some pun intended, because that would have been kind of fun. He's made Kellen more incompetent because he just like, this offense looks terrible other than when they're playing from behind like they were today. And they dug in by the luckiest but coolest onside kick ever. That that onside kick was breakdancing on the floor to get over to, to 10 yards so the guys could grab it. And, and to your point, that is also some of the worst things that can happen is they sneak out the win mm-hmm. with bad play calling because then it just reinforces it. Well, what, you know, why, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And it's like, no, it is broken. You have the three best wide receiver set 
in the entire league in a top three or four quarterback in the league, like let's play to your strengths. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's concerning for at least the short and midterm for this offense, but I do think logic will prevail and they'll eventually let Dak cook, but it is, it is unfortunate here out of the gate that they're not. Yeah, I mean, so many weapons out there. Gallup has to have better days, even even if we make fun of Pete for picking the one guy who didn't do anything today, which which I will do plenty of over the next 40 minutes or so. But, uh, but I think, you know, uh, the Falcons to me were the other takeaway from that game where Julio not involved and that offense still as explosive as ever. I mean, he was mostly taken away from that game, but they still had Russell Gage out there. Hayden Hurst after being a bit of a disappointment last week, but was still on the field a lot. Um, definitely got the, the uh, workload that Austin Hooper left behind, even if he didn't get the results in week one. This week he got there a little bit less Todd Gurley, a little bit less Julio Jones, but... I mean, the Falcons, if that defense doesn't kill them, I think the Falcons can make the playoffs. And if I were a team, even if I had a good defense, I'd be terrified to play the Falcons because they seem to have fully embraced the idea of, screw it, we're just going to pass 50, 60 times in a game and see what happens. Yeah, and, and that's what you should do. Like, Todd Gurley looks completely washed. They don't have anyone behind him. Your best player is Matt Ryan, and your best skill position players are wide receivers. So it's like, just do what you have. And yeah, your defense is going to stink and put you in a lot, a lot of bad positions, but at least you're not just running the ball when you're buried. You know, at least you're going down with a fight. And uh, obviously for fantasy, we're all biased because – we always want to look on the other side of the game sheet and see that your team is playing the Falcons because you know it's going to mean an uptick in plays and passing plays, which is where we get all those fantasy game, uh, good fantasy performances from. Yeah, I mean, when you see the over-unders for the Falcons, probably not a lot of games you're going to want to take the under um, based upon the pass volume they have, which does also slow down the clock a bit, does give the other team an opportunity to make some more plays. And uh, certainly some ways here for you to put up, excuse me, a lot of points on the Falcons, given the fact that their defense isn't good. And they also can score enough in a variety of ways that you have to pretty much keep scoring, even if you did somehow pull ahead on them. Uh, They're going to be an interesting team to watch. Uh, I have, a, I think, a question for you about the Packers. And I think, too, a a Packers-Falcons game, in my mind right now, like that's, it might actually be on the schedule, but I'll need to look up that in a second. But Packers-Falcons, to me, would be a marquee game. Like, that is the one we talked about. Uh, Pete and I both love that Rams-Chiefs game from last year where they had the Mexico City game that got moved and all that. And um, one of the most fun games I've ever seen. I feel like Packers-Falcons would capture that, too, because these defenses aren't doing a lot, and both offenses are clicking at an unbelievable rate. Yeah, and I just I just pulled it up here. This is in two weeks, October 5th, Sunday Night Football, Falcons at Packers. So yeah, that'll, that'll be a super fun game. Just these two teams with their secondaries and their defense are, are basically non-existent and a lot of fun skill position players. So yeah, that, uh, that one will be a a shootout for sure. So I guess for you, if, if you had to rank your teams in the NFC right now, and you know, we're not necessarily doing the superfluous kind of stuff here that you might see in a lot of shows where it doesn't matter what Pete and I think are the NFC rankings, but you had to choose like, what's your one, two, three in the NFC right now? Because we can go a few different uh, directions and I'm curious where actually you would go with this. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know how to overreact versus being anchored to what I thought preseason preseason. I would have said saints are the best team. And then the Cowboys um, would be right behind them. But I think the Cardinals and Packers have to be in the mix now with their start. You know, I, I was joking about it today about the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury last season was so tilting because he was kicking all of these field goals in the red zone. And it's like, dude, you're the air raid guy that is supposed to be going up tempo, being aggressive, taking chances. 
This year, today, we see them fourth and one on their own 27 going for it early in the game. And I'm like, okay, this is the kick Clingsbury uh, I wanted to see. So the Cardinals at 2-0 and and how good Kyler to Nuke looks, that's a really exciting, tough team. Uh, so yeah, I think I would rank it still, even without Michael Thomas, I think when he comes back, the Saints are going to be the best team. And then I think Cowboys, Packers, and Cardinals are probably right there for me after them. And I think you have the Bucks lurking not far behind. They're a team that I'm curious about. I think the game they had today certainly looked like a vintage Tom Brady game, you know, in terms of just spreading the ball around. Um, Mike Evans, I know, I know, Pete, you were very bullish on Mark Andrews being the Randy Moss of the NFL today. But I feel like Mike Evans could be the Randy Moss too, where, you know, he is that deep threat who can get those jump balls, can be used in a way where I think Brady hasn't fully embraced it yet of him just being a dude who, if you're in a jam, just throw it up for Mike Evans. At least you have a a shot at a 50-50 ball. It's going to be probably more like 75-25 for him. Like, I think this Bucks offense, and I guess I have to get your take because I know you and you and Pat show that you guys do the ship chasing uh, stream slash podcast you guys do where you've drafted a lot of best ball drafts over the years. You have a lot of Ronald Jones, and it can't be the most encouraging to see Leonard Fournette absolutely explode and look honestly better than he has in Jacksonville, maybe besides his rookie year. Yeah, real quick on the Godwin and Evans thing. I mean, Evans is an absolute baller, but like one of the strongest correlations last year that we saw in DFS was how negative correlated Evans and Godwin were. Like they ping-ponged awesome weeks. Like when one of them went off, the other didn't. So I do think it falls in that pattern without Godwin that Evans would pop off, but it, I do think it will be more of a push and pull when he's back in the lineup. But yeah, it today was brutal for Ronald Jones fans. I mean, he has the handoff that he fumbles. I saw the replays. It seemed about 50-50, whether that was Brady's fault or his fault, but it doesn't matter because Brady's going to say it was his fault and they have Leonard Fournette lurking. The thesis behind this all along was like, Ronald Jones is going to get his crack And then they're going to start to work in Fournette because they didn't bring him in for nothing. And that's exactly what happened today. Fournette comes in, he gets that game ceiling touchdown when the Panthers can't even get a stop to get the cover, which I needed in the super contest, but whatever. Uh, I do think the thing is, is though we all crown Josh Jacobs after facing the Panthers D we know they're awful. And now everyone on the box look good. Ronald Jones had a touchdown uh LaShawn McCoy let him in the backfield or in in uh receptions for out of the backfield and then Fournette looked great to close the game so I do think this is bad for Ronald Jones but I also don't think it means that much about Leonard Fournette because the Panthers D is that bad yeah and the McCoy part honestly would worry me more because he was being used like James White there for a stretch where they were splitting him out Brady was clearly looking for him like I think Ronald Jones part of me thinking that he might have some upside. You know, I wasn't as bullish on him as some people out there. Like, I think, you know, I, I do feel like if he had the upside, it was going to be getting some of that passing work or just getting the lion's share of the carries. And I think it's a little bit tough to rely on that being there moving forward. But on a week-to-week basis, I agree. He could certainly, you know, have that upside, uh, but certainly not the the best situation for him if you did buy in a lot on season-long or best ball drafts, even though even though we can't legally talk about them, I actually do have something I want to talk about here, but we'll get to that in a second. Now we're going to do a little something we call Take the L. Of course, we did our little victory laps here. Uh, some of us had more victory laps than others. I know, you know, neither here nor there, but <laughs> on to the next segment where you can take the L, because I think, Pete, we can all take an L here, and I think this is one that we both have to take. Uh, Chiefs Chargers going under, I think, was a game that, granted, the... the uh, spectrum of that game changed a bit by Tyrod Taylor being ruled out allegedly as a chest injury, but 
It feels like one of those things that nothing reported about that. Maybe it was something that they were just like, look, Tyrod, here's a way for you to get out of this. We don't love what we saw last week. Give the kid a shot. I don't know. It seems odd to me either way, but Justin Herbert picks up the start, looks pretty competent. The Chiefs did not look competent until the fourth quarter where Mahomes went off and did his Mahomes thing where he's he's almost like a LeBron at this point where he'll take it easy for three quarters in some games, and then when he has to bust it out, he'll bust it out. Uh, but I really thought that game was going to be high-scoring and explosive. Ended up being more of a defensive stalemate, hit the under. Pete, what was your takeaway from this game here where I think to me the thing is the Chiefs are very capable of going 17 and 0 if they really wanted it. I don't think they do, but besides that, I think the Chargers defense is probably better than we realized and maybe the Chiefs, you know, going to take it a little easier than we thought during the regular season. Yeah, and the other kind of wrinkle here, right, is Tyrod Taylor being a very, very late scratch. We were texting about this earlier, how how is this not reported? No one was on this scoop. And we've seen it year after year where teams practice for one style quarterback. And Justin Herbert is going to be much more of an unknown, a different kind of stylistic quarterback than Tyrod Taylor. So I do think that might have factored in. And Herbert legitimately kind of kickstarted the offense in ways that Tyrod doesn't as more of a game manager. I also thought, uh, you know, Kelly, the rookie running back looked really good on the ground for them. So I wonder if they just weren't kind of prepared for these looks. And also I just, my kind of prevailing thought with these divisional matchups is the chargers have played the chiefs tight over the past years. And in a lot of these matchups games, like you can see the Raiders or the Broncos step up and play the chiefs tighter than uh, other teams out of division would just from the familiarity with playing them. So I'm not reading too much into it. It was kind of just one of those bad on paper spots for the chiefs. And, uh, I still think they're kind of the, uh, the class of the NFL. No, I think that's certainly the way that I would view it too. I think the Chargers defense, we kind of saw what happened with Joe Burrow where they did mostly shut down Joe Burrow in week one and Joe Burrow got off a little bit more versus Cleveland. Uh, though, this is something I was going to save. Actually, I was unsure if we were going to do numbers don't lie today or not. And it was my bad because we could have done it. Uh, but I didn't. I want all the numbers in before we come up with a good one. But Pete, did you know that Joe Burrow threw 61 times on Thursday? 61? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you would have set the over-under at 50, I probably would assume like 47 or 48. That's no, wild. So yeah, 61 times. So the Chargers kind of kept him down and oppressed him in a way that, you know, I think we might see a lot from them this year. Mahomes throwing 27 for 47. You know, it's a one-game sample size, not the craziest thing in the world. But I would agree. Justin Herbert, I think he's somebody who should be in the mix for our waiver wire redraft we're going to do in a minute here. And um, I was intrigued by him, honestly, watching him play. I think compared to Tyrod last week, where I was like, Tyrod, come on, you're killing me here. Justin Herbert kept doing stuff. There was one play that I think I retweeted from my handle. It's hard, hard for me to remember what I retweeted and what Trey retweeted from our Splash Play pod handle. But I retweeted one clip of Justin Herbert. Uh, he basically ran to one of the linebackers for Kansas City, and it was one of those hits where it's like, oh, the quarterback is going to come up dazed. And the linebacker got hurt, and Justin Herbert just kind of like saunters away. <laughs> it's like, wow, he's kind of a bad dude, despite the fact that he also has a man bun like I do there you go there you go I know he was uh they kept saying too I remember watching hard knocks where you could see the the veteran players were impressed they're like this guy has zip on the ball and you know the the question with these rookies and I feel like Herbert falls into that Daniel Jones Josh Allen type mold where it's like they have the tools the physical profile the arm to succeed but their you know judgment and you know question uh you know making ability or, or whatever is called into question so i uh i th- i was surprised at how good herbert looked on what i appeared was short notice as far as what first team reps he got in practice this week 
Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised that he looked that good. I mean, in, you know, to Justin Herbert's credit, I guess I, you know, I didn't necessarily buy in quite as much on the hype. To me, I worried that he was a bit of a Jake Locker. I don't know if that's enough of a timely reference for people, but a guy who came in where you see him in the Pac-12 and you're like, he has all the tools, and but he's like not the most accurate. And then he gets to the NFL and he gets exposed. And maybe that will be the case for Herbert. But I thought today he acquitted himself well against the Chiefs defense that certainly improved from last year. And he hung in there against Patrick Mahomes, and there are not a lot of rookies you could say that with, not a lot of veterans you could say that for. So a uh, full credit to Justin Herbert. This is one that I also will take an L on, and this just crushes me emotionally, and it crushes me more because you could look at the numbers, and I guarantee once the air yards data comes out uh, for the week that I'm going to be like, I got to play this guy again. T.Y. Hilton, uh, no Paris Campbell out there. He ends up with 28 yards on five targets, has just three catches, but he had two drops that were 50-yard plays. Um, drove me insane. One of which was right in the basket and he just dropped it in the end zone. The other one was, he was pretty tightly covered. So whatever, but still had some deep shots going his way. T.Y. Hilton can't get there. And Pete, I kind of have the feel with Hilton and Rivers where it's like one of these couples who get together and you're like, Ooh, this is already bad. Like they fight in front of you when you're out at a bar and you're like, they're, you know, they're a little tequila flowing. I get it. Like it's not the best, but I just feel like the T.Y. plus Philip Rivers combo is not quite working well. It's two weeks in, not a full camp, not a full preseason get all that, but where would you stand with Indianapolis, who the offense looked good, they won in a dominant fashion, they they actually kind of crushed the Vikings today, like, god damn it, this pass game is driving me insane. Yeah, it is really weird, because it's like, oh, with all of these injuries, you have to assume this is when T.Y. Hilton steps up. That said, we have seen Rivers over the years be a guy that is willing to spread it around. And uh, I don't know. I'm also, I have a personal age bias against some of these guys. So T.Y. Hilton for me, I'm like, oh, he's starting to get up there. Maybe, maybe he doesn't have it. And we saw that kind of in week one. I mean, Paris Campbell having that injury is such a bummer because mm-hmm. he looked like he was headed toward a really big breakout. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that we then see Philip Rivers gravitating to a Mo Alley Cox, a really athletic dude. People forget he did play basketball in a previous life. So yeah, I, I think at this point we do have to question is T Y Hilton closer to like an AJ green type veteran. I know they're not quite the same in age, but where he's just lost a little bit and the hallmark of T Y Hilton as a player was his speed and his separation. And if he doesn't have that to the fullest extent, you're definitely going to experience a dip in his fantasy production. Yeah, T.Y. Hilton, 30 years old now. A.J. Green, actually 32, so they're a little bit closer than... I, I thought A.J. Green actually might be younger, which I don't know what that's... I don't know how closely I'm paying attention, but I, I assume that he might have been a little bit younger. But yeah, 32 for A.J. It's possible. Once these guys lose that speed, if that's the one skill you have... And I was kind of encouraged last year where, where Hilton was still having a decent year despite not getting as many deep looks with the, the hodgepodge of quarterbacks that were playing for the Colts last year. But I have to say, I'm a little bit concerned here. The volume still isn't there in a big way. I'm not going to be as heavy on T.Y. Hilton moving forward, though. I'm sure I'll still keep playing a little bit of him in Rivers. Um, the Colts offense, I think, is going to have some days that have value. But today, uh, T.Y. Hilton very much left me holding the bag, as did Paris Campbell, who, uh, Pete, uh, guess how much Paris Campbell I had overall, and at least the lineups that I put in an optimizer. I did hand build a little bit like you do, of course, because we are craftsmen. But how much percentage-wise in my optimizer lineups do you think I had of Paris Campbell? I would bet... I would bet you were in like the 35% range. 50 flat, 50 flat. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So you took a stand over Deontay Johnson, Christian Kirk, Mike Williams, all those other cheap guys, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought he was a nice play in that range. I thought, too, you know, paying up a little bit there. There were some guys you get away from who were the value. And honestly, I should have gone with Chris Hogan, who I thought would pick up some of that Jamison Crowder uh, snaps in the in the slot. And, and he did get that. And, you know, at least he wouldn't have killed me quite as bad, though. You know, can't blame a guy who's injured. But that was such a that that's one of the worst ones where you have a guy. And you're like, this is one of the guys I'm planning my flag on. And he gets hurt within the first quarter. Like it's it sucks double. You know, I know we made jokes about me maybe being a little too callous towards Blake Jarwin. But for Paris Campbell, I was like, oh, I feel so bad for you and me, my friend. I think we both are suffering equally. <laughs> yeah, and, and those just the, the it absolutely kills too for especially for the young players that yeah. are on the verge of a breakout. And Paris Campbell, you know, didn't do much his rookie year, but just looked the part of a second year breakout. Looked great week one. Looked great before the injury this week. It it honestly it just sucks so bad. And and that's the thing too about fantasy is like you know we can do our research. We can make, you know, probabilistic bets, but at the end of the day, there's so much luck and happenstance that goes into this, that it is so unfortunate. Like it's, it's not fair. Okay. You happen to take Dalvin cook with your first pick and I took Saquon Barkley. Now Saquon's out for the whole season. It just, it sucks. Yeah, that was somebody too. I who I think was tilting uh, out on Al Zeidenfeld, something tweeting something, and then they were like, "Yeah, like you you recommended this or whatever," and this guy got hurt. I forget it was Zeidenfeld. It was somebody. I honestly, everything on Twitter becomes a blur when you're just refreshing over and over again and distract yourselves from uh, from your fifty percent Paris Campbell and like blaming somebody who advised you to take somebody or even said like, "I think this guy's good for their knee injury." Like you know, that's where we could joke about being tilted about your showdown lineups or whatever, but. Like never get mad at somebody because a player hurt their knee. Like it's it's just I, I think just poor form on Twitter. And I get we get mad at everything on Twitter, but nevertheless, cool. here's something we can get mad about here. Of course, the stat shaming category of the day, where we can find out if there are some players who got unsustainable numbers or if we consider them uh beautiful at a healthy weight of targets. That is the introduction here for stat shaming. And here's a guy who we need to stat shame a little bit. Dalton Schultz, despite the fact that I thought he'd be good, I did not maybe expect him to have 10 targets for nine catches, 88 yards and a TD. Actually ended up being one of the top performers at tight end in terms of raw points. And of course the value, he was one of the cheaper guys on the slate. But Dalton Schultz, I mean, as we talked about earlier, Michael Gallup not getting as much love quite yet. Ezekiel Elliott also kind of quieter today, too, because they did fall behind a bit. He's still involved enough in the pass game to have use, but I would not necessarily think Dalton Schultz is going to have these days. Don't mind picking him up on waivers at all, but I would stat shame Dalton Schultz. I feel like he's looking a little bit too girthy in photos, and quite frankly, I would stat shame Dalton, no matter what the look is, but Pete, where do you land with Dalton Schultz this week? Would you stat shame him or would you support him? Yeah. I, I mean, I just want people to know, like in general, I am, I am pro stats, you know, like I am not in the business of shaming stats. Like that's not my place. Like what you do is, is what you do. And you should go and do that. That said, I do have to shame Dalton Schultz here. Uh, you know, at best, he's going to be the fifth option in this offense after Zeke and the three wide receivers. The offense is supposed to be good enough that there are these kind of spiked week games for a fifth option like Dal Dalton Schultz. But to what we were talking about earlier, if Mike McCarthy is going to keep, you know, the handcuffs on this offense, these Dalton Schultz games are going to be few and far between. Uh, so I do think this is something that you want to sell. If you're in a, a managed league where you can do trades and someone wants to take Dalton Schultz off your hand for something, uh, I think you go for it. And yes, I, I'm left with no choice, but to shame Dalton Schultz for this fraudulent performance. 
Poor Dalton Schultz, but hopefully he can recover from this this shaming that we gave him. Another guy who will need to determine if he needs to be stat shamed or not. Aaron Jones, 18 carries, 168 yards and two touchdowns. He also had four catches for 68 yards and a touchdown receiving. And I'm going to stat shame Aaron Jones here too. We know that Aaron Jones often has to share his plate with Jamal Williams, and he quite frankly gobbled up too much of that plate today. You could see it in his face all over as he put up all those big numbers that he did today for the Packers. So Aaron Jones, I don't think you are looking as good as you think you are. And I would say it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to give a little bit up to the guys in the rest of that offense, particularly Devontae Adams or even a Marquez Valdez scaling. Those guys are hungry too. You can't eat all of it. So Aaron Jones, I'm stat shaming you. I don't think you can do this every week. Pete, where do you land with Aaron Jones here after his monster day here? Slate breaking day, really, uh, for our guy Goner and of course everybody else out there this week. Yeah, I think you're pretty pretty gross and off base to shame Aaron Jones here for doing this performance. I mean, to me, he first of all in week one, he in uh, the the guys over at Rotoviz who I like a lot of their analytical research, they had he was the only one who had a positive rushing and receiving expectation, meaning based on you know historical you know starting points positions on the field, how do players perform? And he was above average for both rushing and receiving. And we've seen this play out year after year. He's an incredibly efficient running back. You know, we, it's the reason why we see Matthew Berry tweet out hashtag free Aaron Jones. It's because he is good with the touches he gets. And obviously he's not going to go for a near 50 burger every single week, but on 18 carries and four catches, he is going to be a hundred plus total yards and a touchdown kind of guy. And the thing that's encouraging to me about this is the, the split didn't go away. Jamal Williams had eight carries. Tyler Irvin got a catch. AJ Dillon had five carries. This is kind of how it looked week one. And you're like, wow, is this a four-way committee? But when Aaron Jones is that good, it might not matter. So I think he has a high floor and a high ceiling. Obviously, this is the high end of the ceiling, the tippy top of it. But I am not going to shame Aaron Jones for this stat line. I think this is uh, reflective of who he is as a player. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I would agree in terms of Aaron Jones's talent. I don't necessarily agree in terms of his role in that offense where, you know, it's very much a hot hand approach where Aaron Jones is going to have some degree of a floor. He's going to get you those, you know, 15 to 18 touches. But uh, days like today where he does get, you know, upwards of 20, I feel like do come when he's having the great success. So certainly a great DFS play. Certainly one of those guys who has the upside. But I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves you holding the bag uh, because of his his hunger, his zest, his hungry, hungry hippos like approach uh, this week to grabbing all the stats. He's due for some regression. Another guy who I would say too, I hate to shame all these guys this week, but it's just where I'm at. I feel bad about myself of taking it out on other people. Mike, Mike Kosicki, 11 targets, eight catches, 139 yards on a touchdown. I know people love Mike Kosicki. I know a lot of the people out there, a lot of analysts even that I respect who I follow on Twitter or done shows with in the past even um, as guests on some of the shows that did it awesome. Love Mike Kosicki. I think he's very talented. I don't think it's a function of that offense. To me, that was the Bills shutting down the outside. And even Devontae Parker had a decent day, but it could have been better for those guys going against Tredavious White. Um, if Tredavious White is going to cover one of the outside receivers, yeah, Mike Kosicki can have a big day. But I think for me, he's at an unhealthy amount of targets. He's not going to be able to sustain that. He's going to be looking much more gaunt in the future. Going to be starving after he got so fat, so so well fed this week. But, uh, where are you with Mike Kosicki, Pete? Yeah, I am going to lean on the shame side uh, for this one. Mike Gusecki, just as a talent and a player, is very exciting. But the role in this offense 
and the way this offense is operating isn't going to be able to sustain this kind of production. Devontae Parker did play this week, but was still kind of limited coming back after being uh, limited in practice throughout the week. And this is still an offense that it's in experimental mode. They're trying a lot of things out. We're probably going to see Tua, you know, within the next five to six weeks. And, you know, they're, they're shuffling around their running back usage. So, you know, Gasecki in the right up-tempo game spots, like the Bills, who have been playing extremely fast, I think he caught them in a nice matchup. The Bills also were pretty bad against Chris Herndon last week. So the Bills might just be bad against tight ends, and Gasecki was able to take advantage of that. I'm so torn on, on it in general, but I do agree. This is, this is the ceiling for Mike Gasecki here and probably his best game of the season. Yeah, the teams that sell out or that are that have the wide receiver ones, the Bills, you know, or really anybody who will sell it to stop the outside receivers against Miami. Um, I think you'll see Gasicki has some more opportunity. Like you will a lot of tight ends, but I think when uh, you, they go against softer defenses, you're going to see those targets go to Devontae Parker. They're going to go to Preston Williams. They're going to go some other ways, I would think. Even the running backs, who Miles Gaskin, uh, looking a lot better than Matt Breida, but we'll, we'll circle back on that in a second. Uh, oh, waiver wire, snake draft time. So this is a big one for us. We're going to make this a new segment here. We want to do some waiver wire picks. Um, we're also going, actually, I should, we're going to introduce this as its own video. So let's, let's reslate here. Three, two, one. Waiver wire. So waiver wire this week, guys. It's an important thing that you need to know for your fantasy leagues who the top picks are this week. My friend Peter Overzet at Peter Overzet and I at Chris Spags will do our waiver wire snake draft here. And Pete, because I am a gentleman, I'm gonna let you have the first pick here. I think four rounds seems about right, right for this. Yeah, and do we want to just do any position? Uh, is available for yeah, all any position. Obviously. So what okay. we agreed on before the show was anybody who's under 40% rostered on ESPN, you can find these metrics. If you go to your ESPN league and search for the players you can add, you can find how much they're rostered in the overall uh, ecosystem of ESPN fantasy. But that's the one threshold. But yeah, I think besides that, you know, obviously we're not going to recommend a defense here, but besides that, yeah, whoever you think is good, I'm okay with. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And, and the other thing, so we were recording this on Sunday night. So this is the definitive first look waiver take. So sure. Some other injury news might pop up and affect this, but these are for you sickos who want to start putting in those bids right away. I'm going to go ahead and take Joshua Kelly as my 101. He's rostered in 26.4% of ESPN leagues. And to me, when I'm watching Joshua Kelly and looking at this usage, versus the Chiefs in a tight game. He had 23 carries and two catches for 49 yards. And what I'm seeing out of this split is like, they want him to be what Melvin Gordon was to Austin Eckler last year in this offense, where he's handing, handling the bulk of the carries, still mixing in a little bit in the passing game, and is also going to have a goal line role. So to me, you're saying you're going to get a guy on the waivers that is essentially Melvin Gordon last year in this offense, and I don't even think Melvin Gordon is that transcendent of a talent. I think Joshua Kelly is really good. So 23 carries in a close game against the best team in football, that's like screaming number one waiver ad for me if he's available. I think that's a good one. I'm going to go a little bit different here, and it's it's tough to take a QB in this spot because you know a lot of people probably already have a good QB, but this is a dude I've had a soft spot for, and and Pete actually texted me today a, a Twitter photo of his his thick booty, Jeff Driscoll, a guy wow. who played at Florida. Um, I've always had a thing for Jeff Driscoll, and he's more of a DFS guy, but I do think if your quarterback situation is dire or you just feel like you picked up a guy, maybe overvalued somebody early, he's going to run the ball 
ball pretty well for you on the ground. I think this this Denver offense, to me, Drew Locke was the one question mark I had for it. Granted, they've had some more injuries since then. Philip Lindsay being out, uh, Cortland Sutton being banged up. Like There's certainly some concerns there, but I would still say Jeff Driscoll, we saw him produce in Detroit. We've seen him produce in Cincinnati even. like He's able to do some fantasy things here. I think he gives you a decent floor and some upside, so I would take Jeff Driscoll as my pick. And I guess, right. oh, it's a snake draft, so I have to go back. But do you have any thoughts on Jeff Driscoll? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, too, it depends on, you know, league settings. I know a lot of people now are playing in, in super flex leagues. Uh, I don't know if you're going to have to go to Jeff Driscoll in a 1QB, you know, 10 or 12-person league. But if you are in a 14 or, or super flex, I think Driscoll is a guy you definitely gobble up because those quarterbacks are so valuable. Uh, I don't know if I would have wasted my first pick on Driscoll, but I know you just wanted to talk about his booty, so I'll allow it. Look, he's got a big old booty. That's what I always like. And it's a snake draft, so I know I can get the back-to-back picks here. I'll get the guy on the turn that I want. And I think for me, it's actually going to be Michael Pittman for Indianapolis. And I might just be a sucker here for all these Colts players and an offense that I do think is going to have better days. But I was intrigued by how many targets he got when uh, when there was the injury to Paris Campbell. Pittman is going to have some better days, I would think, as long as he sees the snaps that he saw today. Moali Cox, I think, had the nice day. People will certainly chase that. But I don't think Jack Doyle is going to be out that long, whereas we do know Paris Campbell's probably going to be out. Well, I think we're still doing guesswork, but based on the initial reports, it's not a torn ACL, but it's probably an MCL one. So he's out, I would think, at least four to six weeks. In that span, I think Michael Pittman's worth the add in the hopes that he can sort of do what Paris Campbell did, maybe not an as high of a level, maybe on a higher level. I don't know, but I would take that stab if you do have some weak wide receivers in your lineups. Yeah, I, I like that call. Uh, you know what? One I am going to pass on because I don't think it's in the spirit of this. So Johnny Smith is less than 40% owned, but he should just be a guy that's owned. I'm not going to take that freebie. That doesn't help anyone out. If for some reason Johnny's available, he's obviously a great ad. I'm going to say Jarek McKinnon. I'm going to stick Ooh, with the running backs here. We don't know necessarily what the full extent of the Raheem Mostert injury is, but McKinnon has looked so explosive in his limited touches now back-to-back week with, with touchdowns. And Tevin Coleman had 14 carries for 12 yards today. And I know the Jets, you know, interior run defense is pretty solid, but McKinnon on three carries, 77 yards and a touchdown. He completed uh, a third and 31 uh, for the for the 49ers as well. For people who don't remember Jarek McKinnon as a prospect, he was just a spark freak. He played quarterback in college, ended up converting, played even a little bit of receiver. So he's just a total athlete who has been marred by injuries. And now he might actually get a chance. So he's the kind of high upside bet that I like to make on the waiver wire. Do you think, though, that Mostert's actually going to be out? Because I kind of thought that was one of those things where they're like, how's your knee? And he's like, eh, it could be better. And they're like, oh, we're playing the Jets. It's fine. Just just relax because Garoppolo is going to be out, too. And Garoppolo actually did look kind of hurt. But I didn't see Mostert come up limp or anything. I don't know. That felt a little bit weak to me where I do like McKinnon. And I agree. I think anybody who's in that backfield getting touches and there's not a lot of guys. Tevin Coleman also got hurt, but I don't like, I don't know that I get the sense that McKinnon's actually going to get a chance to start. Cause I don't know that Mostert's that hurt. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing where we're talking about recording this on Sunday, the, right. the injury reports will affect it, but he's just the type of guy I want to take cracks on. And he's the kind of guy in general that I'd like to stash on my bench because I think this backfield can support two running backs. So if you add in the uncertainty of maybe Tevin Coleman's just struggling right now and isn't as good and most starts banged up, that could just open up more touches for McKinnon. And I also am a believer 
and kind of just momentum and inertia. And we've seen Shanahan do the hot hand with this backfield. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he sees what McKinnon's putting on tape, these explosive plays week after week. Maybe his role grows. If it does, he's in an offense and has the talent to be a league winner. It's, it's still a low probability bet, but he does check a lot of those boxes, which is why I'm willing to take him in the second round of Splash Plays Week 2 Waiver Wire Fantasy Draft. And now it is a snake draft, so you get the turn as well. Who is going to be your round three pick in our Splash Play Waiver Wire Snake Draft, the earliest Waiver Wire pick show that ever existed? Yeah, this one feels a little cheating as well, but Russell Gage is here available at only 20% owned. And I get it in the fact that, you know, he's just not an exciting name. You know, he just has that feeling of a veteran wide receiver that doesn't have huge upside, but we're now coming off of two really nice games with him. We're racking up targets. He got in the end zone again today and This offense, like we said, they are so pass heavy that they can support three wide receivers weekly, although Julio uh, flamed out uh, this week. But Russell Gage is a guy where he can fill in for you on the bye weeks. If you're able to start um, another wide receiver in the flex, he can be there for you. So Russell Gage needs to be added in all leagues at this point. So, man, I'm torn between this and I hate both these guys really like, you know, in terms of playing them, but. Uh, I'm going to go Chris Hogan over Braxton Barrios, and I need to see the snap counts as to who was running more out of the slot because I think both guys did get some slot routes from what I saw, but the date is not out uh, from PFF, which is where I usually pull everything from. But Barrios had the nicer day here, but I do think Hogan's role is going to be a little more reliable for the time period that Jameson Crowder's out. He's also a bit more fl- uh, capable of getting the routes outside if Perriman misses time. I think you're buying into a, a bad Jets team. I think that's sort of the concern, but also a Jets team who should be playing from behind quite a bit, which is how Barrios got there. And I guess Hogan to a lesser extent, but um, I think both guys, if, if either is available in your league, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on them if you just don't mind giving up a roster spot to somebody. But again, I'm looking for these guys who could spike an upside. And I do think uh, Chris Hogan will be my pick here on the first spot. And should I just take both Jets guys on the t- <laughs> I won't double, do that. Double tap the Jets. <laughs> that sounds awful. You know, I'll go, you know, I'll go back to Dalton Schultz. He's still mostly available. Uh, let me just make sure his exact number, but I did see before that he was under 40%, but I think he ran a lot of routes last game, which is what encouraged me enough to make him one of my picks for our ride or die picks this week. And I would say, you know, overall he was out there quite a bit. I don't think, as I mentioned earlier, he's going to have that 20 fantasy point upside every week, but I do think on the weeks where the other guys have a, a downturn, kind of like we were talking about uh, with some of the other tight ends, where if the wide receivers are covered for the Mike Kosicki's of the world, if they're being covered, well, you're going to go to your tight end and Dalton Schultz just being out there, getting red zone targets, getting ends own targets I think that's bodes well for him and at a weak tight end field this year you know even though this week was good I would say Dalton Schultz can be a guy who's useful so he'd be my final pick here on the fourth round all right I have the uh Mr. Irrelevant in this week two draft I'm going to try to get a little more off the board here since Russell Gage fell a little bit like a gimme Chase Claypool on the Steelers uh this is a guy who's not seen a ton of targets but has been very efficient and very exciting. I see a future splash play poster boy in our future with Chase Claypool today. He has three receptions for 88 yards and a touchdown. He just looks like a grown ass man on the perimeter. He's bigger and faster than a lot of the cornerbacks that are guarding him. 
the Steelers have shown us over and over their track record with drafting these wide receivers is absolutely insane. And to me, Chase Claypool fills the void of what they did used to have in Martavis Bryant, that big, fast wide receiver on the outside, that when you're having to contend with Deontay Johnson and Juju in the middle who are incredible route runners, I mean, Chase Claypool is a matchup nightmare, and he's the kind of guy who, yes, it might be slow going for getting targets, but those good players, they earn targets as the season goes along. So if you, again, have deep benches uh, and maybe are a little thin at wide receiver, Claypool is about as high of upside wide receiver stash as you can get. I think that's very smart there. And uh, and I would agree. Like, I think that he's sort of what they wanted James Washington to be, was they wanted him to be that outside threat. And they were willing to keep feeding James Washington targets. Seems like Clay, uh, like Chase Claypool's actually better with getting whatever targets he gets. Granted, a very limited sample size. We got to see a little more. But just watching him out there, too. Like, James Washington, kind of a diminutive guy, a little bit smaller. Chase Claypool's a big boy, but he's also very fast. And, like, just has a look, kind of like Pete mentioned, like a Martavis Bryant. Has that that tall, angular body with actually a little bit more muscle on him than I would expect from a guy as much of a burner as he is. So I think that's certainly a valid play, but you know, not one to rely on every week. Not a guy who you go to and you're like, oh, I'm expecting him to have a big week next week, but he's going to have bigger days, especially if this uh, wide receiver group for Pittsburgh thins out a bit more. So there's our snake draft. What, uh, what's the next thing we got to get to here? I guess we can just go on to our ride or die plays. Oh, actually, I don't know. I, I don't know why I didn't know this. My favorite part of the week <laughs> by far is going to be discussing our ride or die pick records. I'm making a, a, a little hot click right now to give a timestamp for when I can edit this. But the oh, ride or die God. records, of course, an important part here of the Splash Play show. Week one, Pete picked up the W. And as he mentioned in that game, it was a bit of a rock fight. You know, we didn't have two the... hours later. <laughs> oh, I guess we are uh, done with the show here. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know how we uh, skipped over that segment, but I guess we did. But this week, it does. Does seem uh, actually it does seem like perhaps Pete can make this a little better. Uh, but we'll go game by game real fast, run through them to see where we fell short, where we were right. Uh, in the Panthers-Bucks game, Pete picked Ronald Jones to be a top 12 running back. I picked Tom Brady to be a top five quarterback. Neither thing happened, so we both took an L there. Um, that you know that's fine. The Niners-Jets game, Brandon Ayuk being a top non-QB Niners play was Pete's pick. Uh, not the best one there. Raheem Mostert being a top five running back still happened, even though he only played one half of a game. Uh, he was still in the mix for that top five running back. So uh, that is a win for me and a loss for Pete. And the Lions-Packers Wait, game. Mostert what? was a top five running back on the day? I think so. <laughs> no, there's no way. <laughs> least, this is he's cooking the books. At least in the in the afternoon slate, in the early slate, he was certainly. Yeah, sure. I'll get out of here. <laughs> he was on pace for it. If he didn't get hurt, I feel like he was. I, I'm gonna. We need to hire an accountant. I don't trust Spags <laughs> with this anymore. First, the, the. I don't want. I don't want this to diminish my glory, Pete. Please, <laughs> please allow it. DeAndre Swift being a 3.5x value didn't quite get there. Carry on Johnson back in the mix for the Lions, but there was an over 51 in that game that I picked, so I get a W there. You want to debate the over 51? Do we want to? <laughs> no, this is this is just a miserable. I don't even know if we should be going through to recap all of those, especially if we already hit. I'm, this is this is a masochistic desk size. 
Uh, Pete picked Naheem Hines to be better than Jonathan Taylor. That was very incorrect, but as was my pick of T.Y. Hilton to be in the Millionaire Maker uh, winning lineup. So two O's there. Thankfully, Goner must have missed that segment when he won his million dollars. Uh, the over 42 for Jags Titans was correct, but I was also correcting the Jags to cover a seven and a half point spread. Uh, Pete thought that Darius Slayton would get over 20 DraftKings points. He was wildly incorrect. The Bears, though, were also not covering that game at minus five and a half points. So I was slightly incorrect. So, you know, maybe I get point five a point there, but it, we both get zeros. We both get zeros. Uh, Michael Gallup being the highest scorer at non-quarterback. Uh, that didn't work out for Pete, but Dalton Schultz just being great. That did work out for me. So that's a point. Matt Breida being the highest scoring Miami running back did not work out for Pete, but me going over 41 in that game did in Bill's Dolphins. So that's a win for me. Rams plus one and a half worked out for Pete. Zach Ertz over Dallas Goddard worked out for me. So we both got a win there. Great job by us. Broncos plus seven and a half gets a win for Pete and Noah Fant being the highest non-quarterback for the Broncos gets a win for me. So we both are thriving with the Broncos. Christian Kirk did not get hundred yards. So Pete takes an L there, but the game did go under 46.5 between the Cardinals and the football team. So that's a win for me. And then we both got zeros in the chiefs chargers where Pete took the spread for the chargers. I took the over that didn't work out. Ravens Texans also barely missed the over and young Randy Moss, Mark Andrews did not get 20 fantasy points. So, um, the record I, for the week. I think we still need to overhaul this because there's <laughs> issues here. When we take a spread bet, we Vegas has set the line and they're basically saying it's a coin flip. So you're right. taking a 50%. When I take, so you take the over 41. That's a coin flip. I take Matt Breed, a high scoring Miami running back. I'm taking like a 10 or 15% chance, high upside pick just to make the listeners feel something for once in their <laughs> life. Spags, I, I refuse to take the L on these ride or die picks until we standardize the system. I mean, I think that you should have picked a less esoteric play. I feel like this is what we talked about last week with Hero Ball. Don't be Carmelo, be Chris Middleton. Take great shots. No, no, but like if I just say, okay, Gaskin outscores Howard, like Zach Ertz outscores Dallas Goddard, that's not a hot take. But it's got to be like, it's two guys going head to head, like two guys. If you're like, oh, Amari Cooper outscores Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb, I'd be like, all right, like he's the clear number one, but you're taking a stand over his peers. Like, I think that's how it is. I mean, you know, like I, I have no debates here because the records on the week uh, leading into the Sunday night game, which is still ongoing as we speak, actually getting a little high scoring here, uh, but Pete went three and 10. I went eight and five. And uh, that puts the final records, you know, pending the Sunday night game to Pete nine and 19 and me a very respectable and some would say charming 12 and 16. All right. I'm going to, I'm either going to go all game theory on you next time and beat it. I think we need to, I think we need to like set lines for each other where we were betting on the same side or something. I just refuse to believe the Zach Ertz over Dallas Goddard one just makes me so mad. I think that was a part. Oh, wow. Another long play for the Seahawks for a touchdown. This has been happening, by the way, the entire time we've been doing this show is that the Seahawks keep getting splash play after splash play after splash play. David Moore scored a 50 yard touchdown. It's been a hell of a day. Yeah, I uh, I have my showdown lineups up. I have a couple that are uh, are looking pretty nice. I have one where oh, yeah. I have. 129.47 points in first place is 132.87 here. So we're, we're, we're in the mix here down the stretch. Um, but yeah, everyone's scoring points in this game right now. Russell Wilson in the captain spot, 51.57 points. Absolutely cooking. Yeah. I'm trying to pull up mine to see. Uh, it seems as though I am not doing as well. 
in my lineups. My best one's a 123.8, though everybody's on fire in it. Uh, that's only good for 2,000th place. So the show, the showdown mistress, always very tough. But you know what? Tomorrow, another showdown slate. So, Pete, uh, here's your chance to set the bar as appropriately as you see for this game between the Raiders and the Saints, which I will give you the uh, over-unders and all of that for. Uh, New Orleans, 26.8 implied points. Shockingly high, given no Michael Thomas in this game, as we mentioned earlier. Vegas getting 21.8 implied points. So they are a, a five-point dog at home. And uh, I'll let you again. I'll let you pick first, so you can you can choose the angles you want. If you want to just say, "Hey, Josh Jacobs is gonna whatever," you know, like go ahead. This is the this is what no that no you pick your angle, and then I get to decide how milk toast you go with it, and I will match you because I can't trust you anymore. So if you do a hot take, <laughs> I will match you with a hot take. If you play it close to the vest, then I'm gonna. If you say Alvin Kamara will be the highest scoring player in the game then I need to say, well, Drew Brees is going to be the highest scoring QB in the game. So you go first, and then I will be an honorable person and follow suit. All right. Um, man, so we don't know yet if Henry Ruggs is going to play. That kind of spooks me off of him, but I do think he's an interesting play that's j- jumping out to me as I look at this. Um, yeah, last I heard, he's truly questionable. Yeah, it's, it scares me too because he's a burner, and I feel like those guys with the hamstrings and leg, like I, they always tend to – like be extra at risk but um you know i'll say oh man i'll say emmanuel sanders goes 100 yard and a touchdown okay all right that's actually that's actually spicy um how about is that then i will say traquan smith outscores emmanuel sanders (laughs) okay I'll, i'll allow it i think that's i think that's a fair one but you know makes me a little sad that you needed to just shit right in my mouth like that yeah, well, I'm coming for blood after this whole just the the hypocrisy and the, the this system. It's just oh my god, it's just it looks like bureaucracy. It's, it's politics. It's you weaseling around to have a better record than me, and I will not allow it. I really don't think I weaseled. I feel like taking like actual you know over under type bets or spread bets like to me those are the hardest ones to find an edge whereas like if we played this smarter in terms of dfs we could, we could probably actually increase our record in a more valuable way i would think but you know that, that's that's just me that's just me i guess <laughs> i think another yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna think about how to fix this segment because i do think it needs to be fixed okay i, I feel like maybe if we pick a guy they just have to be top five for their slate or whatever for the main slate. Like there's, there's some way we could tweak it to make sure it's a little more hard or fast, but I'm about, glad to close the gap. I mean, I'm happy. How about this? And again, we can, we can workshop it, but similar to kind of like the draft and say, you know, we got to figure out how many games there are, but what if there's like um, different styles of picks? So we each get like two over unders for the totals. We each get two spread picks. We each get one like top wide receiver, on the slate and then we get to kind of go around and figure out how to allocate those so if you use your two spread picks right away well we each get two spread picks so that it levels the field for the type of bets top scoring qb we each get one of those then it's fair do you like seeing pete grasp with straws because if so hit that like no (laughs) 
I feel like you're everyone making... tell tell people tell Spags in the comments Zacherts over Dallas Goddard is absolute bullshit. Honestly, tell us in the comments below or or tweet me at Chris Spags, tweet Pete at Peter Overzetter, of course, tweet ask at Splash Plate Pod, not Ask Plate Pod. <laughs> Don't tweet at that. Spags is OnlyFans account. Also, I just want why I'm at this, why I'm grasping at Sarah's. These are how many 50-50 bets Spags had. Over 50, over 49 and a half, over 46 and a half, over 41, Bears minus five and a half, Jacksonville seven and a half, over 51 point. He took seven coin flips. You want to know how many I took? Six. Yeah. No, but five. I- five. You took two more gimmies than me. You were cheating. But you took Naheem Hines over Jonathan Taylor, and if you looked at the numbers, that was like a safe pick. You took no. DeAndre Swift getting three and a three point five x, which he actually did get the week before. Brandon Ayuk, I think that was just a terrible call by you. I don't know what you were doing there. Ronald Jones, no. I mean, <laughs> same thing there. I you know I I feel like I I'm gonna I, I'm gonna fix this segment. <laughs> don't worry, guys. And then we are gonna there's an asterisk to the records for week one and two. And then going forward is when we determine who's the better tout. <laughs> There's an asterisk play pod. <laughs> and this one. But yeah, tweet us at Splash Play Pod. Let us know what we should be doing here because we simply don't know <laughs> what the right metric is. But I felt like, I mean, the thing to me was if somebody parlayed all of my over-under bets together until the afternoon slate, they would have had a heck of a day besides the Bears one. And that would have killed their parlay, which is how parlays go. Well, oh. that's great. That's Don't bet parlays. <laughs> I'm having great fun catching up to you this week, picking up the win. But of course, the ride or die picks are in. Everything is in for the week. So, Pete, what are your final plugs before we call it quits and come back on Thursday even stronger after Thursday night football? I just can't wait to check my mail and see this signed piece of NFL history that we are going to be giving away on the show. It is going to be a truly monumental episode. I will never take an L. I will beat Spags in the ride or die picks. I will standardize the scoring if it's the last thing I do. And uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on OnlyFans where Chris keeps posting photos of his feet in a pirate (laughs) costume. It's weird, but it works. What else am I missing, Chris? No, I th- honestly, I do think though as a bit, we should make like a premium whatever and put it on OnlyFans so we could be like some of the only guys on OnlyFans, like instead of Patreon. Like, I think that should be our shtick is that we do an OnlyFans. <laughs> what if we did something that was like our defensive ads for the week while like having our feet like up on the screen, just like our bare feet, our favorite defensive streamers on OnlyFans. I think there's a bit we could stumble upon here. Maybe we just do it ironically and we just do like sexy George Costanza style boudoir photos while we're giving our picks. (laughs) (laughs) Splash play after dark. I do like it. Ass play after dark. (laughs) Follow at ass play pod. No, follow at splash play pod. Uh, We'll be back with you guys Thursday. Again, subscribe. And, uh, and subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I'm laughing now. But I appreciate you guys. We appreciate you guys very much. We passed the 100 follower thresholds. The downloads are going up. The YouTube, I feel like we didn't get enough promotion this week. So YouTube was down a little bit. But but the engagement's there. And we appreciate all you guys being a part of this community that we're trying to build here every day. So we appreciate you guys very much. Follow at Splash Play Pod. Subscribe and, uh, on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and review if you want to enter to win the big giveaway that we'll announce on Thursday. We will be back with you guys then, so enjoy your weeks and uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Goodbye.